This is a podcast from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship, a gathering of many nations who are one in Christ. This sermon is from our series on the Nicene Creed. This afternoon's uh, scripture reading is going to be taken from a few different selections from the book of Isaiah. Uh, I'll be reading from chapter 25, verses 6 through 9, chapter 26, verses 1 through 4, and then chapter 26, 17 and 19. Isaiah 25, 6 through 9. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely they be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God makes salvation its walls and ramparts. Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter, the nation that keeps faith. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. And then Isaiah 26, verses 17 and 19. As a pregnant woman about to give birth, uh, rise and cries out in her pain, so were we in your presence, Lord. We were with child. We writhed in labor, but we gave birth to wind. We have not brought salvation to the earth, and the people of the world have not come to life. But your dead will live, Lord. Their bodies will rise. Let those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your promised Holy Spirit. And now as we meditate together on the hope that we have in the gospel, the hope given to us through Christ, we pray that the eyes of our hearts would be enlarged to receive and to believe with all our strength in what you have promised. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, it so happens not due to any clever planning, that we're finishing our series on the Nicene Creed on this, the very last Sunday of 2021. And we're meditating on the very last phrase of that creed, which will appear, God willing, on the screen behind me. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. And what better thing to meditate on as this bizarre, terrible year draws to an end to reflect on the hope that we have in Christ. And uh, Ken read for us some selections from the book of Isaiah, and Isaiah is a prophet with a staggering vision of the majesty of God, a God who stands supreme over all nations, over all false idols, who holds the past and the present and the future in his hands, who crushes all human pride, yet who condescends to dwell with the humble and the contrite and those who tremble at his word. And Isaiah pictures God not only as the supreme Lord, but also as the compassionate Redeemer. 
And it's not without reason that Christians down through the centuries have described Isaiah and his work as the fifth gospel. Here is a man writing in the 8th century before Christ, receiving these visions from God about the plan that God is going to unfold down through the centuries. And in his prophecy, he foresees catastrophe and disaster, the collapse and destruction of Jerusalem and exile into Babylon. And yet, when all seems lost, when it seems like God has completely forgotten and abandoned his people, Isaiah foresees that God is going to break into history with glorious, unexpected salvation, and God is going to reveal something that far exceeds what God's people had ever experienced. And here is Isaiah speaking centuries later to those who are going to be besieged and starved and led away into captivity into a faraway land. And here is Isaiah prophesying of a victory banquet. Here on this mountain, Mount Zion, the Lord Almighty is going to prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples. God has planned a supra to end all supras, hosted and catered for by God himself. And he's going to empty his wine cellar with the very best of wines. There's going to be the choicest cuts of meat. This table is going to be groaning under the weight of plate after plate stacked on top of each other. And what is it that's going to be celebrated? God's triumph over death itself. Isaiah sees death not just being defeated, but utterly destroyed and annihilated. This is a celebration of final and total victory. Death, the last enemy, is going to be swallowed up forever. And at this feast, God announces that the shroud, the sheet that covers all people, has been torn up forever. There's no longer any threat. There's no more danger, no more terror, no more reason for fear or anxiety. God's people are going to feast in his presence forever. And notice in that prophecy, the universal scope that Isaiah sees. It will be on this particular mountain of Zion, but this is going to be a feast for all peoples, and death is going to be destroyed for all nations. And what Isaiah sees is not some private, intimate party in a back room. This is a global, universal, international, multi-ethnic, and multilingual celebration. As everyone in the world celebrates God's good news of great joy for all peoples. And yet, this massive gathering in the mighty house of God is wonderfully close and tender and intimate because the sovereign Lord is going to wipe away the tears from all faces. Imagine the thumb of God brushing across your cheek to wipe away the particular griefs and sorrows that you have experienced. And these words of Isaiah are not just some fond wish, some escapist dream, some kind of human speculation. The Lord has spoken. 
And everything we're talking about this afternoon is not just our ideas of what the future ought to be like if we just got our act together. We're talking about the Word of God, the promise of Him who is incapable of lying. And in that day, they will say, Isaiah says in verse 9, yes, this is our God. This is our God. Here's the praise of the redeemed affirming that salvation is from the Lord. All we did, all we could do was trust God. That's all we were able to do. God did everything. We trusted in him, not perfectly, very feebly, with many doubts and crises, but God, as he always does, comes through, and our faith has been wonderfully repaid. And now, let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Let's take our chair, find our name tag, and tuck into the feast that God has prepared for us. This feast, though, is not just about greedily stuffing our faces with all the treats and delicacies. It's not about guzzling as much wine as we possibly can. This is a feast that celebrates God. And at this feast, God's people will lift up toast after toast in celebration of the one who saved them. And they will go around the table, each person sharing their testimony with a shining face of how God rewarded them, how they trusted the Lord and they saw his salvation. And then God's people are going to put their arms around each other and sing psalms of praise to the only one who rescues. And here's the song that will be sung on that day, according to Isaiah 26. We have a strong city. God makes salvation its walls and ramparts. What a word of hope to those who are going to be standing in the burnt, charred, smoking ruins of the earthly Jerusalem. That God is preparing a Jerusalem above, a heavenly city, with walls and ramparts, not of stones, but of the salvation of God. A city that cannot be shaken. And as the people of God approach, they will be singing, Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter, the nation that has kept faith. And those gates, those mighty gates that have swung open for the king of glory will open for all his servants who follow after him, who have trudged up that long and winding path up the hill of the Lord to meet with God. And here is their affirmation of faith. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast, because they trust in you. That's not just a word for the people of the future. That is a word for us now. And God's promise is that you are as safe and as secure now as you will be when you walk into the heavenly cities because we are God's people gathered under his wings Going through the desert, yes, but with the pillar of fire and the cloud of smoke guiding us and protecting us 
from our enemies. And if we listen very hard, we can just hear the last verse of the song addressed to us below. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. God is the unshakable rock of ages upon whom this city is built. He is the immovable one with whom there is no variation or shadow due to turning. Everything else in this world has its breaking point. No matter how seemingly secure it is, it will collapse beneath you at the worst possible moment. God is the only one who will never disappoint you, who is incapable of disappointing you. And you know, no one knows what 2022 holds. Here we are in the middle of a global pandemic that has killed almost 5 million people. There are rumors of wars. There are nation rising against nation. There's evil and perversion and godlessness. And in the middle of it all, the people of God confess with the sons of Korah in Psalm 46, God is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and though the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, God will be God. We are very small. We are very weak. And we cannot fix the world. Of course, human beings are tempted again and again to try to resolve the situation, to turn to some human power to get ourselves out of trouble. Just like the people of Judah in Isaiah's time were turning for Egypt to protect them from Assyria, we turn to human ingenuity and science and technology and legislation and, pol and policy suggestions. But in the end, we can only confess we have not brought salvation to the earth. And the people of the world have not come to life. In the end, all human efforts are impotent and without power, and we can only stand with the brokenness of our failure in our hands. And then Isaiah gives this remarkable prophecy in the last verse of our reading, 26 verse 19. But your dead will live, Lord, their bodies will rise. Isaiah doesn't know that the Old Testament saints weren't supposed to know about some kind of life beyond death. He didn't know they were only supposed to view the grave as a kind of world of shadows. Here is Isaiah, the prince of the prophets, with an almost New Testament sense of the hope that we have in Christ. Death would seem to be the end of the road, the extinction of of all human hope and identity, death always gets the last word. But God gets the word after that. And he's going to summon those who dwell in the dust to wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. And with Isaiah this afternoon, and with all the people of God down through the centuries, 
we look together for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come, as the last line of the Nicene Creed reads. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. We look. Not we create, we build, we manifest. All we do is stand there and look because salvation is of the Lord and he will not share his glory with another. And when everything breaks and crumbles in our hands, all we have left to do is look and wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. We look, we hope, we expect, we stand on tiptoe, leaning forward, yearning and longing for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. And as the people of God, we hold ourselves, or we ought to be holding ourselves, in constant readiness for the return of our Master. We look. This is what we say when we confess the Nicene Creed together, as we will in a few moments before communion. We look. And I wonder if this is actually true of us. Are we looking? Are you looking? Are we heavenly-minded, future-oriented, hope-saturated people? In all honesty, don't we need to confess that we've been seduced and tempted by the lusts and desires of the world, that we've been distracted and our horizons are filled with what is only passing away? When we stand and confess together, we look for these things. We are reminding ourselves and we are reminding each other of our true home, that here we have no lasting city, we look for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. We're called to be heavenly-minded, to look. And yes, we're called to serve and love our neighbor in this world, to care for God's creation, to seek the good of the city in which God has placed us, to which we've been exiled. But we face the same danger that the people of Israel did when they went into exile into Babylon to lose their identity, to become absorbed into the pagan culture around them because they failed to believe in and fiercely hold on to the hope that God had promised, that there would be salvation, that there would be a return from exile, that even if the people of God go down into death, God will reach down and bring them out of it. And as the people of God, we need to be confessing together and exhorting each other every day as long as it is called today, we believe in the resurrection of the dead. We will all die. It's not very cheerful. Christmas is over. Time for some brutal truth. We are all dying people, right? Death is actively at work in our bodies, and one day, some of us sooner, some of us later, we will die. But Christ has already been raised 
from the dead, brothers and sisters, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And our hope is not that we will escape death, but that God is going to bring us through death and that there's going to be a day as we sleep in our cold graves on a day that no one knows, there will be a trumpet that sounds and the heavens will be torn open and Christ himself will descend with a shout of command and our graves will be opened and we will rise in glory never to die again for death will no longer have any hold over us. Death will be destroyed. It will be swallowed up forever. Here's how the poet and preacher John Donne put it in Holy Sonnet number 10. Death, be not proud. One short sleep past, we wake eternally. And death shall be no more. Death, thou shalt die. Death will die, and Jesus, by the power of his Holy Spirit, will raise us up to everlasting life in glory with physical bodies. This is not some vague, ethereal, spiritual resurrection. In physical bodies, bodies fully animated and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You will be completely conformed to the image of Christ as you were designed to be, and you will be shining with the very glory of God, with his power, with his holiness, with his love. And you will be abiding in the indestructible life of God himself. And then those gates of the new Jerusalem will swing open and we will enter into the life of the world to come. And God will wipe away every tear from our eyes as Revelation repeats that promise of Isaiah. There will be no more tears or sorrow, no sickness or death, no shame or guilt, no sin or temptation, no oppression or injustice, because the old order of things will have passed away. And Jesus himself will say, Behold, I am making all things new. In the Brothers Karamazov, Fyodor Dostoevsky, the Russian writer, one of his characters says, I believe, like a child, that suffering will be healed and made up for, that all the humiliating absurdity of human contradictions will vanish like a pitiful mirage, that in the world's finale, at the moment of eternal harmony, something so precious will come to pass that it will suffice for all hearts, for the comforting of all resentments, for the atonement of all the crimes of humanity, for all the blood that they've shed, that it will make it not only possible to forgive, but to justify all that has happened. A moment of surpassing beauty and glory and goodness and truth that will last forever and ever. As we sit safe forever from all that could harm us or threaten us, we're going to be sitting at our chairs. There'll be a huge table, 
a table where we will feast with all peoples and all nations and all tribes and all tongues and all nations to celebrate the victory of God and of the Lamb. And what a relief it will be to enter into the saints' everlasting rest, to hear from Jesus himself as he puts his hands on your shoulders and looks into your eyes and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, enter into the joy of your master. What is that joy? What is the feast? What is the ultimate good that God could offer to human beings? There's nothing else that could truly satisfy our restless hearts but God himself. God is the feast. He is the joy. He is the highest possible good. And if your heart has been awakened at all by the Holy Spirit, you pray with David in Psalm 27. There is one thing I ask of the Lord. This is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. That is the one supreme desire of souls that have been born from above. Because the goal of salvation is God himself. The triune God isn't just the source of our hope. He is the center and he is the summit of our hope. Because for him and through him and to him are all things. And of course, there are many secondary delights of the world to come, and we could spend hours and hours reveling in those things together. But we will be enjoying God in all things and all things in God. God is not the means to an end beyond himself. That would be idolatry and worshiping the gift instead of the giver. Our eyes should travel from the gift up to the hands that offer that gift to us. Heaven is not ultimately about being free from sickness or being reunited with your dead relatives. Neither is it ultimately about human flourishing in a renewed creation. Ultimately, our hope is the beatific vision, seeing the face of God. That's what our Lord promised us. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Why do we bother purifying our hearts? Why do we groan and wrestle with sin? Why do we do the hard work of mortifying our flesh and saying no to evil desires? Here's the promise. You will see God. You will see God. And you will gaze into the face that is shining like the sun at full strength. And here our words begin to fail us. We're standing at the bottom of a mountain that is wreathed in the clouds. We're talking about something beyond human imagination. All we can say is that now we know in part but then we will know fully as we are fully known. 
the very highest gift of the gospel, the terminus, the end of all things, is the serene contemplation of the face of God. Gazing into the eyes that are gazing back at us with love and delight and welcome. And God is going to draw us farther and farther up and farther in into the love and the fellowship of God to be pulled into the fire that does not consume to radiate ourselves with God's own holiness, to eat freely of the tree of life. And as we experience that, we will whisper to ourselves, this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. And then we will begin to shout to one another, This is our God. We trusted in him, and he has saved us. We have not brought this about. We have not wrought salvation. We have not raised the dead to life. We are not the ones wiping tears from eyes or putting an end to illness or evil or terror. This is all the doing of God. And as we experience the glorious, holy love of God, we will begin to sing together. To sing a song of praise to God's glorious grace towards us in Jesus Christ. Because what we are receiving is the free gift of God. At the very end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, in the concluding chapter, God himself says, Come and drink freely of the water of life without cost or without price. And that offer is held out to all peoples and all nations and every single individual in this room. Jesus is offering this to you. Satisfaction in God. Drinking and drinking and drinking of his love and burning with his holiness, and singing together with the saints in the city that cannot be shaken. That is God's offer for you in Jesus Christ, if you will receive, if you will believe, if you will have faith. And for those of us who know this gift, the Holy Spirit urges us all today, let us strive to enter that rest. Let there be found in no one here an evil, unbelieving heart that wanders away from the living God. A heart that hears and receives and accepts these things and then neglects them for pleasures that cannot last. At the end of this year, I believe God is calling us to fix our eyes more firmly on the hope that is held before us. This podcast was from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship. Learn more about us online at ticf-georgia.org. Thanks for listening.